Welcome to Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. I'm your lead investigator on this case, Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Every episode is an investigation where you and I explore true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. We discuss the cases, share information, no chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. Now, grab your crime scene kit, a notebook, and your favorite hat. This is Best True Crime Podcast. The date is October 31st, 1589. The place is Germany. We are witnessing the execution of a man named Peter Stump. Stump had not been accused of theft or bribery. He did not commit rape or grand larceny. Peter Stump has been accused of being a werewolf. Between 1423 and 1720, about 250 werewolf trials are documented. Peter Stump's trial is considered the most brutal and the most memorable. First, Peter's daughter Sybil and his mistress Catherine are brought out for execution. Both are bound while executioners begin to whip them until bits of skin fly off their bodies. Then, the two women are strangled. Only one woodcut remains of Peter Stump's execution. It shows the executioner, dressed in blooming knicker-type pants and a frilled collar of a long-sleeved blouse. There is an empty scabbard on his belt. The carving depicts Peter Stump just as he is beheaded. What it doesn't show is the gruesome style of execution before Stump was beheaded. And the execution was brutal and ghastly. First, before we witness this part of the execution, who was Peter Stump? Peter Stump was probably born around 1530 in the village of Eprath in the electorate of Cologne near Bedburg, Germany. Little information about him exists. We know he was a man of wealth, a farmer, and a widower with a daughter named Sybil. Sybil was over 15 years old. He also had a son. Peter was well-liked and had a good reputation. And Peter's name has been spelled differently in various texts, and he has aliases. For the purpose of this podcast, we'll go with Peter Stump. He was about 50 years old at his trial. Trial records from this time period are difficult to find, but thanks to a rare booklet, we know some things about Peter and his demise. A small pamphlet of 16 pages was published in London in 1590. It was called The Damnable Life and Death of Stubb Peter. Only two copies exist now since their discovery in 1920. Should you be lucky enough to read the pamphlet, you would read about Peter's life and his demise. It included information on the case, the alleged crimes, the trial, and witness statements. And, of course, the execution. The German woodcutting of the execution was printed in the pamphlet. The original woodcut has been, of course, lost to time. It was a true crime book of sorts. A Cologne alderman named Hermann von Weinsberg wrote of the case in his private diaries and the case was reported in several broadsheets printed and sold in southern Germany. Bedberg farmers began losing cattle. The men would go to work in the fields only to find their cattle dead, the entrails strewn about the field. 
Next, women and children began disappearing. Some of their bodies were found, mutilated, just like the cattle. Most were never seen again. It was all blamed on a wolf. For about 25 years, these attacks continued. Digitalassets.com and WorldData.com list the average life expectancy in the 16th century to be between 45 and 50 years old. While the mortality rate was high, parenting in the 16th century corrected bad behavior, according to an essay titled 16th and 17th Century Child Care and Child Discipline in Europe. This bad behavior was treated with, quote, reasoning, harsh discipline, and love, end quote. Of course, as it is throughout history, there existed child abusers. It is unclear how the werewolf rumor began, but it was said Peter Stump was sexually molesting his daughter and that the son had been the product of this crime. And rumor had it that Stump's wife and son died under mysterious circumstances. Stump also had a mistress. Religion and government might have played a part. Stump was believed to be a Protestant convert and he was involved in local politics. Stump was missing a left hand from an accident years before any of this werewolf business started, but the rumor spread that the werewolf had been caught in a trap and it chewed off its paw to escape. It chewed off its left paw. Finally, a posse of men at the village gathered their hounds to track down the werewolf. It was about midnight and they trapped Peter Stump instead. The story was the men tracked down and caught a wolf, but when they caught the wolf, it became Peter Stump. Of all other that ever lived, one record recounts, none was comparable unto this hellhound. And the trial began. Witnesses came forth to state Peter Stump was seen acting strangely. It was said he was a recluse and it was reported he was well-liked and friendly. That missing left hand was discussed. Still, Peter Stump insisted he was not a werewolf. He was a farmer who practiced politics. He was a widow, a father, and according to records, members of the aristocracy, including the new archbishop and elector of Cologne, made a very rare appearance at this trial, the conviction, and the punishment. Reading the 1590 London printed pamphlet, you will learn that Peter has made a confession. He has confessed to being a werewolf. His confession partially takes place in a torture device. One account reads, Thus being apprehended, he was shortly after put to the rack. But fearing the torture, he voluntarily confessed his whole life. The initial confession comes in 1589, just before Stump is placed on the rack, a device of torture meant to force confessions from the center. When the government leaders and magistrate decided Peter Stump had more to tell, they laid him out on the rack. Now, this was a large wooden frame where the ankles are bound at one end and the wrists are bound at the opposite end. By working rollers on the device, the victim would be stretched as far as needed to garner information with the body lying flat until the creak of the rollers began pulling the arms and legs. Peter Stump probably knew that people had been crippled on the rack and even death came from the rack. Bones would pop 
and skin would stretch until it broke. It's no wonder, he confessed. As the local magistrate listened, Peter professed he was indeed a werewolf. Peter Stump told how he had used black magic from the age of 12. Then he confessed to being the werewolf. Stump had met the devil and said of a special belt, I have given myself to the devil so that I live my life with sorcery. When Stump buckled this belt around his waist, something terrible happened. He was quoted as saying, The likeness of a greedy, devouring wolf, strong and mighty, with eyes great and large, which in the night sparked like fire, a mouth great and wide, with most sharp and cruel teeth, a huge body and mighty paws. The magistrate demanded, Where is this belt? It is in a certain valley, Stump is quoted. This was not the entire confession. Stump admitted to being an insatiable bloodsucker. He also relayed how, as a werewolf, he had torn off and ate the flesh off barnyard animals, such as goats. He also had a bloodlust for human flesh. He had eaten men, he said, women, children. Peter Stump admitted to murdering 14 children, including his own son, and two pregnant women. He said he had torn out the fetuses and is cited as explaining he ate the hearts panting, hot and raw, and the organs were dainty morsels. When threatened with further slow turning of the racks rollers, Stump confessed he loved his son, as any father should, but that monster werewolf inside of him just took over. He led his son to the woods on some pretense, strapped on that magic belt, and transformed into a werewolf. Then his father ripped the boy apart with his jaws and ate him, including the brain. The horror of becoming a werewolf had lasted 25 years, he said, and it was not the only crime he was charged with. Peter Stump was accused of incest, his daughter being the victim, and he was accused of coupling with a distant relative. He also said he had sex with a demon. Imaginably, Stump believed this confession would save him. Or the confession was made to keep the torturer from turning loose those rollers and snapping off his limbs. He was either delusional or maybe hopeful. The confession did not save him from the gallows. Now back to October 31st, 1589. Peter Stump has been stripped naked and a large wagon wheel has been rolled into the execution area. Stump has been dragged to the wheel. He is forced to lie on the wheel, staring up at the faces who have accused and judged him. His arms and legs are stretched across the spoke and bound to the wheel. If Peter Stump escaped sure death on the rack, he suffered excruciatingly on the cart wheel. The executioner had laid metal pinchers on a hot fire, and now those tips burned red. The executioner picked up the pinchers and sank them into the flesh of the accused with a twisting rip, removing hunks of flesh. The blunt side of an axe head was used to smash his limbs to prevent him from returning from the grave, according to records. It was most likely a relief when the executioner drew his sword from its scabbard and with a swift move 
lopped off the head of Peter Stump. But it was not over. The church wanted to ensure the beast never returned from the grave. So it was sent straight to hell. The body was tied to a stake and burned. The bodies of his daughter and mistress were also burned next to Peter Stump. Peter Stump's head was tied to a wooden carving with a wolf's likeliness. It was left there to rot, a reminder to anyone walking by they were not to frolic about with Satan. What about that magical belt that turned Peter Stump into a wolf? The magistrate sent men to locate it and return the belt, but no such belt was ever found. The mutilation of farm animals and attacks on people, according to legend, stopped altogether. Peter Stump was the first and only person to be tried and executed in Bedburg for being a werewolf. Did Peter Stump suffer from clinical lycanthropy? This is a rare psychiatric delusional syndrome where a person truly believes they can turn into a wolf. Not much is known and persons diagnosed with lycanthropy are usually diagnosed with schizophrenia and or psychotic depression. The condition has existed throughout history. If the delusion is that the person believes they can shapeshift into a dog, the condition is called kynanprothy. In a 2021 study on both disorders, researchers explained, clinical lycanthropy may be a culture-bound syndrome that happens in the context of Western cultures, myths, and stories on werewolves, and today's exposure to these narratives or cultural media such as the internet and the series. 43 cases of lycanthropy, or kynanprothy, were identified, including 20 cases of lycanthropy four cases of partial lycanthropy, and 19 cases of kynanthropy. These cases were reported between 1852 and 2020. In 1589, Germany's Peter Stump admitted to being a werewolf. He confessed to morphing into a wolf, which made him a cannibal and a serial killer. As punishment, he suffered a horrible death, where his head was hung on a stake to warn others from consorting and talking to the devil. We can look at the case of Peter Stump today and see ancient ritual, silly superstition, religious fervor, or perhaps a precedent for crimes that today true crime readers study with great interest. This was 1589. Peter Stump of Germany admitted to being a werewolf. Thank you for listening, and should you be settling in for the night, don't look out the window. There might be two golden orbs shining at you there in the darkness. All aboard! Best True Crime Games announces its premier game, Survive the Titanic, the card game. In this game, you will meet survivors, gather equipment, and relive history. This card game combines skill and strategy with history and lore. But will you survive? The object of the game is to collect a set number of survivors and pieces of equipment into your lifeboat before Titanic sinks. But don't add luggage and watch out for those SOS cards. 
Just like an iceberg, the speed of a ship, or weather conditions, certain cards can change your plans in one turn. The RMS Titanic was the most luxurious ship to sail the oceans, the largest man-made object on Earth in her time. On April 10, 1912, the Titanic set sail for her maiden voyage to New York. On April 14, Titanic struck an iceberg. Two hours and 40 minutes later, she disappeared into the sea, taking 1,496 souls to the bottom of the ocean. Now you can travel back to 1912 and this exciting, engaging card game. As the game moves along, you will learn fascinating facts about the Titanic passengers that don't often make headlines. Collect vital life-saving equipment from 1900s ocean travel and discover objects on the RMS Titanic manifest. The game is also a memorial to those lost in the hopes you will allow their legacy to live on. Some proceeds will be donated to a nonprofit organization that supports this mission. For more information, go to www.besttruecrime.com and click on Games. I'm Raven Rollins, and this is my Southern True Crime podcast where I discuss cases from my former hometown. Ada, Oklahoma paints itself as an average community, but its history of murder and corruption runs deeper than any story has ever told. You'll hear plenty of special guests, including authors and experts in their fields, who visit with me on each episode, as well as other cases in the Southern states. With notorious and unknown cases alike, every victim sees the light on my show. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. Thank you for joining me on this investigation, exploring true crime, forensics, historic cases, dark history, and criminal theory. This is Best True Crime Podcast. No chatter, no commercials, no off-topic. I do hope you will subscribe. This podcast runs off donations only. You can drop us a donation... $35 or more, and I'll send you a signed book. Just go to www.besttruecrime.com. My name is Judith A. Yates, award-winning true crime author, a criminologist, and a paranormal explorer. Thank you for joining me on Best True Crime Podcast, a division of Best True Crime Books, Games, and Video, LLC. Be safe out there.